Father, we again just thank you for tonight. And we just thank you, Father, for the work that you're doing in our midst here, Father. We thank you, Lord God, Father, for your long-suffering towards us. But we thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord God, Father, that flows towards us for your glorious Son, Jesus. So we acknowledge, Lord God, that, Father, that you are our Lord. And we acknowledge, Lord God, that this is your word. I pray tonight, Lord God, Father, just that you will, your word, Lord God, Father, will, Lord, touch our hearts tonight, Lord God. And you will open up the truth of your word to us, I pray, in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, again, I'm on the theme of Israel. I've taken advantage of the season of the, the autumn feast, which I've started. Started on Friday night and finished tonight, actually. So I started with a wee blow on the, tr on the shofar, and I'm going to finish with one for tonight. So it finishes tonight at sundown. It's two days, leading us into 10 days of awe towards the Day of Atonement, which is actually going to be next Monday. And um, Sunday, sundown, Israel's day started sundown. So anyway, it'll be next Monday, and that will finish on Monday evening. And that's when we, we fly out then. <laughs> so glory to God. Hallelujah. So that's a good day to fly out, isn't it? Isn't it, Anne Marie? A good day to fly out. So glory to God to be in the sky. So praise the Lord. So, And then we go a few days later after that, we have the Feast of Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. And so that's called the Autumn Feast, which is all centered about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Spring Feast heralds his first coming, the Autumn Feast are actually all heralding his second coming. And there's many different views regarding that. And um, I'm not sure I'm going to unpack all that, and we're all entitled to our views, but we want to know what the Lord is saying by his word. So tonight, I'm just going to again, just major on Israel and the land of Israel and the nation of Israel, its importance. And uh, what is special about Israel? I've got these question marks. What is special about Israel and what is significant about them? Hallelujah. And here's one answer. I'll give you the answer. What is, what is significant about Israel and what's so important about Israel and what makes them a special people? God. That's it in a nutshell. God. The Almighty God put his hand upon them and God established them. And the only thing that makes them different from anybody else is because God put his special blessing upon them because he was going to use them for his plans and purposes. And we can read all through the Old Testament where God visited with them. He called a man Abraham and he called him out. And we're going to read those scriptures as a starter for 10. Okay, so we're going to turn to the book of Genesis. You'll know these scriptures well. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And this is where the Lord calls Abraham. Before he was called Abraham, I might add. It says, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. For I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And then you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shizem, as far as the Terebeth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were there in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I, the famous I, on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and he called in the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed going on still towards the south. So Abraham was obedient to the call of God. God called him out from the land of Haran. 
and, um, and called them unto himself and says, leave your father's house, leave all behind you. He says, I'm, going to, I'm asking you to take a walk in faith because with you, I'm going to establish a people on this earth, my own special people. The Bible tells us they were going to be a nation of priests, a nation that was going to be separated from the nations of the world, a nation that God was going to establish, that he was going to put his name upon. And Abraham was faithful to that. And we know that Abraham took that walk of faith. You just have to love our Abraham, don't you? But then we can read, and I don't want to be reading loads of scriptures just so that we can be there. But if you read them from 10 through um, to 20, Abraham goes down into Egypt because there was a famine. When Jerusalem is a famine, that means the sun is shining too much and there's not enough rain and there's the famine conditions. And so he's forced to go down to Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, he's scared. He's scared of Pharaoh because Pharaoh's a very powerful man and because his wife was super, super, super beautiful. Now, who knows how beautiful she was, but she was so beautiful that Abraham was scared that Pharaoh and other men would look at her and would want her. And if you wanted another man's wife, you would just actually put a gun to the man's head and then you would take his wife. So Abraham says, then please say that you're my sister so that no trouble will come to me. We know he goes down to Egypt, and, and sure enough, people were recognized the beauty of Sarah, and um, she's taken into Pharaoh's household, and it says he blesses the brother as he thinks, blesses him with lots of goods, and then the Lord visits Pharaoh, and um, the tumors and cancers start to break out, and Pharaoh obviously discovers that he's got this man's wife, Sarah. That was it. So then he's a bit upset with Abraham. He says, just the end it says what is this you have done to me why did you not tell me that she was your wife why did you say she is my sister for I might have taken her of my wife so he hadn't touched her because God prevented him from touching her now he says therefore take your wife and go your way and then he commanded then his men don't touch this man when Pharaoh tells you not to touch somebody you don't touch them and so he moved out so maybe we can see a bit of typology here as well here's Abraham going down into Egypt and then he comes out with lots of goods we don't know how much but he obviously prospered a little bit in Egypt so maybe we can see that as just a, a little kind of typology of what's going to happen in the future when, when God takes the nation into Egypt and then they come out and they plunder the Egyptians they come out with a lot of goods but they were not down there so we can see that the Lord then punished this man Pharaoh and the Egyptians because of what he had done and that could maybe then go back to says I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you who treat you badly we can maybe see already a little sign from that if we move on to then 13 now, Abraham now, don't forget, he's taking Lot with him. And God never told him to take Lot. God says, go yourself. You, and you're obviously his wife, and his goods. He says, but he took Lot with him. So while they're there, the two of them are really prospering. There's a bit of strife comes into play between herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Lot, because the two of them will get very, very good. In verse 7 and 13, it says this, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's. And Abraham says, look, please, let there be no strife between you and me. Let's, let's have peace here, okay? He says, so, he says, let us separate. I love what Abraham says, because Abraham obviously is the, is the chief between the two. He's the one that should be honored. But Abraham, this is how Abraham trusts God. He says, right, choose. If you go that way, I'll go that way. If you go that way, I'll go the opposite way. You choose. So Abraham here was leaving the decision to God. It's good sometimes when you leave the decision of God. Here's a crossroads, you know, when you come and say, Lord, what way do I go? And hopefully you let the Lord guide you. We see that example, obviously, in David as well, don't we? Remember when Saul's trying to kill David? And there's one time when he's in the cave hiding, and David's men say, look, God's delivered this man into your hands. Go kill him. He's there. He's here for the taking. Just go and stab him in the back, you know, put an axe over his head. You know, this is your chance. 
But David says, no, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. But he cuts the edge of his garment. And then when Saul goes to leave and he's out there with his men, David is stricken to the heart. David goes out and says, he goes, Saul, he calls to him. He says, look, I could have killed you, but I, I, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And he threw himself on the ground. That Saul was out to kill him. Now Saul could have killed him. There he is. There's the man he's hunting to kill. And David throws himself on the ground because you know why? Because David was trusting in God. That God would protect him. And Saul now was cut to the heart because of this. And he says, David, he's now exposed. He says, David, you're a righteous man. Surely God is with you. And then he goes his own way. But after a little while, he's back to one with a killing attitude and chasing David again. So we can see here with Abraham, look, you choose. Go that way, I'll go that way. And so once they had separated, here the Lord speaks now to Abraham. Uh, so Lot lifts up his eyes and, he, and he's seen the goodies. He's seen, oh, that looks, that looks beautiful over there. Because he was looking with the eyes in the flesh. Wow, that looks fantastic. That was Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was actually a very beautiful place before the Lord actually dealt with them. But it was beautiful in the natural. And so he went with the natural, was guided by the flesh. But the Lord had plans for Abraham and Abraham was trusting God. So once they left, it says this, then the Lord said to Abraham, it's amazing that Abraham, you know, see, God actually turned up many times. So when he had an encounter with God, he had an encounter with God on human, probably on, on a, human, a human manifestation when the three men turned up at his tent. So he actually literally met, if you want to believe it was the Lord Jesus, or it could have been an, an angelic visitation, glory to God. I've often thought I would love to see an angel, but it probably dropped down collapse, you know, yes, when we see encounters with angels. But anyway, it'd be wonderful to have one. I'm actually hoping to have one when I'm in Israel, by the way, so glory to God, when I'm staying in that tent in Peace Forest somewhere down there. Anyway, now he has this encounter, and now the Lord says to him, don't forget it says here, Lot lifted his eyes and saw this. Now the, the Lord appears to Abraham and, says, and he says this, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northwards, southwards, eastwards, and west. Just look all around you. Just look all around you, wherever you look. And this is what the Lord says to him. For all this land, he says, for all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. God says, I give this land to you and your descendants forever. Now, it's a big word, that forever. Forever means forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. And then Abraham moved his tent and moved on. It's not wonderful, isn't it? When you get that from the Lord, this is yours. Glory to God. And Abraham walked throughout the land. Glory to God. God had given it to him. I'm just going to put this light on behind me. Is that okay? My eyes must be getting a wee bit dull, but there we go. Then there was light. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Forgot to do that at the beginning there. Hallelujah. So the Lord is then commissioned and says, I give you this land to you and your descendants forever. Let's fast forward just up to 15. Just want to kind of emphasize the point here. Now God's covenant with Abraham. Now God's probably made a covenant with, he's confirming the covenant with Abraham, but he's probably made a covenant with Abraham in chapter 12 when he says this, when he calls to Abraham, get out of your country and I will bless you. It says after, the, after this and God's covenant with Abraham, and let's just see what we'll break into. Okay. Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, because Abraham's saying, look, Abraham says, look, you've given me no offspring, verse 3, indeed, no one born in my house now, that the one, one of my servants will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came and says, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside the tent 
and said, look now towards the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. I remember one night me and Linda were out the back door in Foxbar where we stay up there in Paisley and um, we, we were sitting out with a wee fire going, you know, one of the, that, that wee kind of whatever, wee stove thing. And, and, and we were sitting up late, we were going to, the game was, let's see who can f- spot the first star, you know, you know, when it starts to get dark, dark, dark. I think I blew you at the park anyway, Linda. I think I've seen about 10 stars before you've seen one. And then, oh, and in the darker it's getting more stars, but that's nothing to you go to a nation and it's just like, I mean, it's just like, it's just like wall to wall stars. You ever been in places like that? And it's just like, wow, you just look up there and there's like, so that's the environment. It's not a Scottish sky. It's the Middle East sky and there's like tons and he says, so shall your descendants be. Hallelujah. Because Abraham is going to be a father, not just of the nation of Israel, but he's going to be a father of nations. Glory to God. And he counted them. And it says, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Glory to God. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chadleans to give you this land and to inherit it. And he said, Lord, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Interesting, isn't it? He believes God and it was credited him with righteousness that he was going to have a son even though he was old and he was a good age. But when he says now, he says, I'm, I'm giving you this land, which he's already spoke to him before that. But Abraham says, but how will I know? So he's looking for a sign. It's not that he's doubting God. He says, but God, how will I know that you will give me this land? Now, that's, you know, it's a serious business it was at the time. And, and that's when the Lord tells him, puts him in a deep sleep, brings animals, makes a sacrifice and God enters into a covenant. But we'll break down there too. Verse 18, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your descendants, I give you this land from the river Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Raphaim, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, you always have to pronounce that, be careful, the Jebusites as well. So God then maps it out. That land is totally mapped out. He's given them a full area. If you had a map, you would be able to map it completely what God has defined the territory that the Lord says, now I give you this land and he maps it out for them and it's his. And he's made a covenant now with them. I've covenanted to you this land. Hallelujah. We jump over to 17, chapter 17. It says, then when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me blamelessly, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And again, Abraham fell with his face, and God talked to him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall you be named be called Abraham, but your name shall be called Abraham, which means father of many nations. For I have made you a father of many nations. Hallelujah. In verse 7, it says, And I will establish my covenant between me and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I will give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. I will be their God. Now, God obviously is defining this now. Abraham's going to be a father of many nations, but God is saying, I will be a, you know, I will, I'm making a covenant between you and the descendants, which is coming from Abraham, which was going to be passed to Isaac and passed to Jacob. He's defining it because it's the ones who are going to take control of the land. It's not all the nations that control all the lands. It was to be this people that he says, I'm making a covenant with you and your people to be their God. And this land then is going to be passing down through the lines. Amen. Hallelujah. So we have to realize here, guys, as I'm trying to kind of paint the picture about how do we deal with the nation of Israel as they stand just now 
And the bulk of them are, 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 do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They don't acknowledge him. In fact, I've spoken to some of them, the religious ones. And I want to tell you this, they are very, some of them are, are, are not just anti, super anti, that they will say atrocious and terrible things about our Messiah. I've had it said to me face to face when I was down at the Western Wall. This one of the kind of orthodox guys came, came up and him, we're having a bit of chat to begin with. And then it turns, turns sour because of just a couple of things that were said, not necessarily on my part. And I was going to bless this man, and he, didn't, he couldn't take it because it was a special day that he couldn't take anything. And it was only after that he says, see if that Jesus was here today, he says we would crucify him all over again. And, and, and I just get, I get angry at that point. I says, don't you dare. I've never came here to insult you, my friend. I'm here in your land. Do not insult my Savior. And I remember walking away from that man, and I just said, thank you, Lord, that he didn't take that money from me. Amen. They're not all like that, but I want to tell you, there's, there's some of them who take that very seriously. But you've got to recognize where they're coming from. As far as they're concerned, that Jesus is an imposter. He was a false claimant to claim to be the Messiah. And they believe the ancient lies that were passed down, and, they've been, and it's been grinded into them as a wee boy growing up. It's been reinforced to them. And so it's not just that, you know, they believe something, so they're ingrained in this, and they're being blinded to this day. Hallelujah. So I would say that, thank God. But what I'm wanting to say here is we need to be very careful today of replacement theology, that, because that is, very, that is very real, it's a very real problem, or what they call another name for that, supersessionism, if I'm pronouncing that properly. What we're seeing again today is the spirit of anti-Semitism is rising at an alarming rate, and it's a very powerful spirit, and it's in the church. And it always has been, but it's raising its ugly head again. We're seeing it rising up. United Nations, they're constantly on Israel's back. In universities now in America, you can, you can Google these facts for yourself. Anti-Semitism reports are growing, growing, growing. It's changed over the last 20 years. It's, it's increasing, it's increasing. It's increasing all the time. There's this anti-Israeli spirit is rising. And it's telling me that we're moving into the wards of the end times, that the, the situation is changing as we speak, even within the church. I've got something here, and hopefully that will come up. But as I said, it's always been in the church. Most of us all know the great man, Martin Luther, and, um, and the work that he did. Let me see if I can find it. Just go back to that. Okay. Here we go. I'll just read it. Now, Martin Luther's attitude towards the Jews, we know Martin Luther was a man who brought in faith. Amen. So rose up against the Catholic Church. We know that. The theses nailed. And it says this. But Martin Luther's attitude towards the Jews changed over the course of his life. At the beginning of his career, it was influenced by many other men, right? And he was reaching out to the Jews. Glory to God. But the more that he, they rejected him and they realized they were not interested in salvation and they were refusing to acknowledge that, it says his attitude turned towards them. He deplored, and then moreover, he proposed, what shall we do with the Christians? Do with the rejected and the condemned people, the Jews. What do we do with them? And this is recorded. So this was his recorded words that came from Martin Luther, which is you can actually Google and find for yourself. It says, first, to set fire to their synagogues or their schools. This is to be done in honor of the Lord and Christendom so that God might be see that we are Christians. Second, I advise that their houses be razed and destroyed, Martin Luther. Third, I advise that all their prayer books, the Talmudic writings, in which such idolatry lies, cursing and blasphemy be taught, be taken from them. 
Fourth, I advise that the rabbis be forbidden to teach henceforth on pain of loss of life and limb. Fifth, I advise the safe conduct on highways be abolished completely for the Jews, for they have no business in the countryside. Sixth, I advise that usually be prohibited to them and that all cash and treasury of silver and gold be taken from them. Seventh, I recommend putting a frail or an axe or a hoe and a spade or a distaff or a spindle into the hands of young, strong Jews and Jewesses and let them earn their bread in the sweat of their brow. But if they're afraid that they may harm us or our wives or children or servants, then let us emulate the common sense of other nations such as France, Spain, Bohemia, etc. and deject them from our country. That's latterly in his latter days I think I heard that he might have repented of that attitude. But actually, that was Martin Luther because at first they reached out to him because he was not responding to the gospel. And he's realized that they were just totally not going to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what is recorded in history. And you can read that history for yourself. And, um, and it seems to be justified. You know, it's, it's, it's clarified in the writings. So we can see that not only was Martin Luther, but we've seen again there was a great attack of the church against the Jewish people. They were, they were hounded. The church, as I said this morning, they became one of their, their, their biggest persecutors, the Spanish Inquisition, that the Jews were forced to actually to, to, you know, to change from, Jew, from, from being Jews to Catholicism. Catholicism ruled the world, don't forget, at that particular time. On pain of being burnt at the stake or being, or being put to death, they would have to be converted to Catholics or else. Britain itself, as I said to you, in 1290, we ejected all the Jews from England. King Edward, 1290, they were told to get out. Spain as well, other nations expelled them. They were, they were constantly hounded down through the centuries, down through the centuries. But we had one saving grace with a man called, and I'm going to get back to that, Robert. But attitudes changed, it wasn't always so bad. And I've got one here from the Church of Scotland, okay? There's one of the heroes of the faith. And it's Robert Murray McShane. Do you remember, we all remember Robert Murray McShane? Um, a, a beautiful young man, Church of Scotland man, made famous in Dundee. And, um, and God worked powerfully through this man's life. Well, Robert Murray McShane was trained in Hebrew and Greek, but he had such a burden for the Jewish people, as many people in the church started to have, because they realized, according to the scriptures, that Israel had to be back in their land because God had a plan and purpose for them. That was back in the day. Four ministers from the Church of Scotland were sent out. Robert Murray McShane was on it. One of them, I think, Andrew Bonner was another. And they went on a mission to Israel. That was probably 1830s or something like that. And it was a great joy for Robert Murray McShane because he had got this love affair within him for the, for the, for the Jewish people. So he traveled and he traveled across down. It was a, you know, ended up sailing across to Egypt and then they had to go from there up into the land of Israel. And this is what Robert Murray McShane said. To seek the lost sheep of the house of Israel is an object very near to my heart. Such an enterprise may probably, probably draw down unspeakable blessings on the church of Scotland. According to the promise, they shall prosper who love thee. I now see plainly that all our views about the Jews being the chief object of missionary exertion are plain and sober truths, according to the scripture. I feel convinced that if we pray that the, that the world may be converted in God's way, we will seek the good of the Jews, and the more we do so, the happier we will be in our own soul. It was one of the recorded um, that Murray McShane's trip when he came back from Israel. He recorded when he was in the land of Israel, reaching out to them, another minister came in and looked after Dundee on his behalf. He has recorded that a revival started in Scotland while they were out there, actually 
and a mission to oversee what was taking place and be a blessing to the Jews. That there was a Bible started, I think it started in Kosaith, it started in D, when Robert Murray McShane came back, the, the church was full. And he put it down to because of the shown interest, shown concern for this people. Again, going back to Abraham's blessing, you know, and for the right heart and for the right spirit. We've seen this. As I says, that was the Church of Scotland's attitude there. And the Church of Scotland then were open because, don't forget, Israel were a scattered nation. There were there was terrible horrors taking place, culminating right up until again, we brought it this morning, to the Holocaust, to this extermination. Hitler actually drew a lot from uh, Martin Luther. Did you know that? Hitler actually read Martin Luther and actually used Martin Luther to try and convince the churches of what he was doing was the right thing that he used to be doing. And, um, and there we go there. But the Church of Scotland actually were very open to them. And then we're back in the land. We're very supportive of them. But that began to change probably in 1980 because then they started to be influenced by United Nations. They started to be in, you know, influenced by you know, the plight of the Palestinian people and the Jews were stealing the land. They were doing this. They were doing the next thing. And you would have to actually do a bit, a, a bit of study of that to be truthful anyway, because a lot of the land was actually purchased by the Jews. They just didn't get in and bulldoze them and boot them off. There was a lot of absentee Arab landlords who quite happily took the money that was being offered to them by the Jews. Rightly or wrongly, I still took the money and I sold the land. So they were actually actually establishing themselves. The great kibbutzes and all of that was all kicking in there. But then in probably in 2003, the Church of Scotland's attitude more and more became anti-Israel. And they produced this called the Inheritance Report, the Inheritance of Abraham. And it was a report they did in May 2013. And then they actually were beginning to say, well, it's not really their land. And, you know, it's, that's an allergy when the Lord's saying, it's, well, it's a spiritual land. And they began to then begin to turn towards their attitude towards the Jews because they were being influenced by the spirit of the world. And they began to just become negative towards them and question things. Now, if you remember um, the solemn assembly, which um, I took and got involved with, or I, we organized, I felt God placed in my heart to go to Greyfriars Courtyard, 2022, and the uh, let me get the date right, in the 26th of February, that was when our forefathers, the Scottish Covenanters, signed a national covenant in 1638 in Greyfriars Courtyard on the 28th of February. I went for the nearest Saturday. And part of that, when we started with the threefold, if you can remember, public, publicly repenting for our own sins. So when we stood there, we had, that, we had that wonderful time, two hours plus, maybe three hours. It's actually now on the website. You can visit with it. It's been recorded. We don't get the last bit, but you'll get the gist of where it was. I started threefold. We had to acknowledge our own sin. Before we can pray for anybody else, we had to, take, we had to personalize it. Father, forgive me and my household. We see these great prayers with Daniel, Nehemiah. We personalize it. Then we were going to pray for the church. Before we can start praying for the church, let's pray for ourselves and get ourselves sorted. Then we engage God for the church. Part of that, if you can remember right as well, we repent. I led it, so I'm not saying everybody was in agreement with it. And I repented with our attitude towards the Jewish brethren. That we judged them, with it, and I brought out that Abraham's um, inheritance report. Who were we to judge God? Who are we to determine that land is that not that land? God says very clearly in his word, that land is yours. I made an eternal covenant. I set that land apart for yours. It's their land. I believe it. I believe it even that it's still, it, it, it's still in force today. And we've only got a fraction of the land because of Britain's double dealings. Then I repent on behalf of the, the government because actually the, Britain actually disgraced themselves. 
they, they did not function to the Balfour Declaration when they were to help the Jews establish that land. Britain did not actually fulfill that. In fact, latterly, they actually did everything they could to keep the Jews out of the land. Recorded history, they turned boats away, they took them when they turned up. After coming off the back of a Holocaust, people climbed mountains, climbed. I just watched the report the other day there, black and white, real footage. Hundreds of miles, this whole families, and then they eventually got onto a boat and it was traveling to the land, and there they were, there was a land coming off. Some of them were Holocaust survivors, most of them. Here it was, and British Navy stopped them, put a big toe onto them, boarded their boats, and took them to Cyprus, and they put them into other, not quite concentration camps, but they were still put into a camp, albeit they weren't being tortured and were being fed. Amen? And they refused to let them go because they were trying to appease the Arabs. Now, if you can remember uh, there, if you do care to watch it, you'll see it. I repented in that because of our attitude and what we did. We were incurring the wrath of God because we were standing against the plans and purposes of God. Because God says he's going to call them back to that land in the latter days. He's done it twice before. And this last time, he says, I will, put a hook in I will force them back. So see this spirit of anti-Semitism, probably God is behind it because they're too comfortable in all these other lands. They've been too comfortable. But all of a sudden, see when attitudes begin to change and people turn against you, you're like, I think I better, I think I better move town. I think I better get out of town. And there's only one safe place as they would see it. I need to go back to the land of my birth. It's a, it's a little bit where God puts something within their heart. You know, they say that about a wild salmon. It's out there in the sea. And then all of a sudden, boop, 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 boop. It's just like, oh. It's like, it's got to get in, it's got to go back to the rivers. It's got to come in back up the rivers and it goes through all this big torrents of, and, and, and all this hassle to go to the breeding grounds. You go, oh, what's, why did they not just, why didn't they just have it in the sea? But there's something inherent within them. God's placed something in nature there that they've got to get back. And it's just like God has placed that within them. Some of them are reluctant, but God says, I will bring them back to fulfill, I believe, end time prophecy. 1948, established as a nation. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, I'm just going to probably, I want to finish with two stories which, um, which were close to my heart. And um, because as I says, yes, I can read a lot. Mostly from the scriptures, I would say I've taken this from the scriptures. And as far as I can see, to me, it's, it's pretty plain. It's pretty black and white. God has got a problem. God, sorry, God has got an end time plan for the nation of Israel. Book of Romans, Paul 9, 10, and 11 makes that clear as far as I can be, believe. And I can look in others that I read to you earlier. Isaiah 49, he says, I've engraved you in the palms of my hands. You are the apple of my eye. Jeremiah says, as long as the sun, the moon, and the stars are in the heavens, Israel will never cease to be a nation. Now, while Israel was across, dispersed across the nations because of the sin of the people, God will not tolerate sin. And he will deal very harshly against it. As we've seen with Israel, and we know that the work of the devil is in there to destroy them, but God's always managed to keep them together. Hallelujah. And he's brought them back. So I think it was one of my, I can't remember what visit it was. I think I was over there myself anyway. Usually when I go myself, I, 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 I appreciate it more. So I was like, we're going out. We've taken up, we've, we've received a blessing this morning and we're going to go and we're going to bless. We're going to bless Eric Benson in the House of Victory. But we'll sure we'll, be, we'll find, I wasn't sure how much money we're going to get, but we're going to be able to bless some other people as well. One of those visits, we had a blessing, and what I felt was, I felt I was going to go and bless two Israeli families in particular. One morning at a prayer meeting, I'm sitting next door here, and I was sitting at this prayer meeting, and you know how you get these situations flagged up. There was this young man who was stabbed to death, right? And somebody had flagged it up, and I don't know where it came from, but I was sitting next door there, and I was watching this. Now, what they did was a video of this young man in his wedding day with his wife, 
And what I love about Israel, it's wonderful. The mother and father both walk up with the son, and the mother and father both walk up with the daughter. It's lovely. And I watched this man and this woman walking up with this son, this beautiful son, beautiful young man, beautiful. And they brought him up, and then they, they, they you know, obviously they, they get married, and then the celebrations at night, and everybody's all joyful. Listen, if you think you've went to a good wedding bash, if, if we, when we used to stay at Jerusalem Gate Hotel, sometimes the, that's a kosher hotel, right? And sometimes you get these Jews' weddings. I'm going to tell you this, man, they know how to have a wedding. The man's up on his shoulders, and it's like, and it's like they're, they're really rejoicing. And anyway, so I seen this, and then I heard the story that this young man was stabbed. He was a soldier, he was off duty. He was down at the shops to get some milk for his, the newborn baby, his wife, right? And he went into the store, and there was a couple of Palestinian young youths, maybe about 15, but, you know, they, 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 they grabbed out knives, and they started to stab this man, and he was, man's lying in the aisle, and they were stabbing him. Now, this man went to, this young man went to his rescue. He went to, he got in, he got there, he went in, and he saved this man, but what happened was they stabbed him a couple of times in the back. He then was lying in a pool of blood outside dying. And then the story was he died. Now I'm sitting, listen to me guys, this happened to me. I'm sitting in there, I'm weeping. Because the young man reminded me of my son. And I just, I just, it really impacted me, really, really impacted me. Another situation that I read was, uh, was another man called Rabbi Mark. And um, they came from a place called Micmash, which is up in the tribe of Benjamin. Maybe that's why I kind of spoke to my son being Benjamin. And um, this was another situation that actually happened. And I'll tell you about this one, then I'll tell you the, the story be, belonging to the two of them. Let me see if I can get this up here. Rabbi killed, wife and children injured in drive-by terrorist shooting. Rabbi Michael Mark, a father of 10, was, was head of Otniel, a Shiva Sheziva. Rabbi Michael Mark, a principal of such, was killed and his wife and his two children were injured in a drive-by terrorist attack just south of Hebron. The story being that they were driving along the road and this car overtook them. Now, there's a man and his wife and his two young children in the back. Car overtook them and then they just opened up with a hail of bullets. He was m killed immediately. He was at the wheel. He was killed immediately. His wife sustained three shots. One went right through her eye. One right through her eye, took her eye and, and right into her brain, and then she was shot twice in the upper body. Her young daughter in the back was shot in the stomach, and the young son survived, but the car overturned in one thing or another. The young boy, hopefully enough, had managed to phone and phone quickly for help, right? Car drove on. They arrived at the scene, father's d dead immediately. The, the girl's not too bad, though, she'd been shot in the stomach, but his wife now, she's been shot right through the eye. She's in a critical condition, as you imagine, and she's rushed to the hospital, still just barely alive. They never thought she would survive, but she did, against all the odds, and says if she does survive, she'll be a vegetable. She'll never walk again. Well, she's not a vegetable, and she was able to walk again, but then she's lying, she's lying in the hospital for good knows how long while the husband's been buried and all the rest. You can imagine waking up out of a coma that she was in at that moment in time. There was another situation further down here about a wee girl aged 13. Um, another attack, it was after the Israeli Prime Minister went to visit, a 13-year-old girl was murdered by a 17-year-old Palestinian terrorist who jumped over a security fence, went into this little girl's bedroom and stabbed her repeatedly, repeatedly stabbed her in her bedroom as she, as, as she was asleep, just went and started to knife her. Now these attacks are pretty common and shocking as you can imagine and Netanyahu turned up for it now that situation was just further down okay I went to Israel and God had put a burden in my heart I went I'm going to visit these families I picked out the three of these families so I was there myself I was staying in Abraham's hostel because I was trying to save some money and um, and so my mission that day was 
that I went to go and visit Avram Wiseman, who Micmash, it's up there in the tribe of Benjamin. So, it's, you know, so I get myself in places. So went there, turned up at the door, and I'm walking, and I'm in this place called Micmash. Now, I don't, I've not got a clue where I'm going. It's all I know. So I'm walking up the road, and I asked somebody they were not able to speak English, and then this car's coming towards me, and it's obviously I'm a stranger in town. I look lost, you know. There's a guy puts the window and says, excuse me, he says, you, what are you looking for? I says, I'm looking for Avram Wiseman's house. He goes, uh-huh. What for? <laughs> Obviously, he's a friend of Avram Wiseman. I didn't know that. He's now checking me out. What for? I says, I'm a minister from Scotland. I says, I was impacted by a video, and I've got to come and see him. So he goes on. He goes, jump in the car on. it. Now he's on, talking in Hebrew, so that's double Dutch to me. And, um, and we turn up at this man's house. And we open the door. He's obviously aware that I'm coming. So he opens up his open house. He comes in. I'm sitting there with his wife. And he's sitting there on the couch. And it's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> not, not quite, but they're sitting there waiting. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, um, I says, you obviously don't know me. I'm a minister from Scotland. I says, one day at the morning prayer meeting, I says, I watched a video. I don't know, obviously you didn't produce it. Maybe one of your friends did. I seen your son. I seen this marriage ceremony. And then I heard that your son was murdered. I says, I've come over here from Scotland and I've wanted to be a blessing uh, to the Jewish people. And I says, I just feel as if I've been directed to come here. I had money and I wanted to give the money to the, the widow, the woman of that, and the little girl that's been left. But as I started to talk, I said, I, says, I, I just broke down. Honestly, I'm sitting in that room and as I tried to talk, I couldn't. I just burst into tears. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wailing, wailing. I just was struck with grief and I'm going, oh God, God. And I'm tears flowing in my eyes. I'm literally, I mean, I mean, I'm wailing. That's not, you don't hear me wailing much, do you, Linda? <laughs> and I, honestly, and I just felt, listen, I, I just felt the Spirit of God came upon me and I'm wailing. Now, this man and woman sitting there, they must have been going, what the hell's going on here? Just like the two of them are sitting there. I'm breaking my heart loudly in the room. And then she cracked, she cracked. And she just started wailing herself. She started wailing. Now I'm feeling terrible. I goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I've, I, I didn't come here to open up this wound. And she just rushed into the bedroom. And then we, we sat and we talked a little bit and I was able to contain myself. I just told him what was there for and that was fine. Time was getting on. He gave me some fruit from the back door and stuff like that. And then he walked me down to the bus shelter. And it's like, and he was telling me, he says, you know something? This is what we're living with. It happens all the time. But he wasn't full of bitterness for what took place. He goes, we just want peace. We just want you to live in peace. And he took me to the bus shelter and said, somebody will probably pick you up if a bus doesn't come and get you sooner. Well, true enough, just shortly after that bus came, took me up, took me back down to Abraham's hostel. And I sat in that hostel and I just thought, God, do you know something? I'm so blessed. God, you use me. You use me. So the next day, my next mission was to get to a place called Otneil, which is in the West Bank. A wee bit more dangerous, I might add. So I'd try to get these places. So I managed to get the tram, and then I got a bus. And then you get dropped off at a bus shelter. And it's like, that's you, you're on your own there. And then I says, well, what do we do now? And this person says, well, somebody will just probably pull up with a car and say, it's like a taxi. <laughs> Anybody going to such and such and such and such? So I'm standing there for a while. And this woman turned up to kids and went, Otneil. And I was like, that's me. Thank God nobody else was going. I was like, oh, jumped in the car. And she goes, um, our English wasn't very good. I says, the Mark family. Mark family. Uh -huh. So she pulls me up and we stop at this. We're away out in the sticks now. And it's quite a dangerous place because there's quite a lot of attacks in this place. So I get out the car and it's in there. And I go like that and I chat the door. And their daughter came. She opened up the door. She stays there with her kids. And she goes, yes. I went, look, I'm a minister. <laughs> I'm a minister for Scotland. And I read this article about your father. And it's really touched my heart. I just feel it to come. She goes, please come in. And just at that, then our mother comes out and it's her eyes, just the skin. It's all skin, right? Just comes to the door like that, just like that. And as soon as I seen her, guess what? 
I just broke down. Couldn't explain it. I just broke down and I started wailing again. Just just this deep, deep, deep crying went on for quite some time. Then I managed to contain myself. And, um, and they brought out pictures and they were showing me that he's there and such and such. And he's such a beautiful man and da-da-da-da. And, you know, and that was, and that was it. And then I gave them money. So I gave them money to the other ones. And then I blessed them with some money as well. And, you know, then she says, well, I'll drop you down so far, but we can't drop you down too far and hopefully you'll get a lift. In the bu- but the buses had all stopped. It's starting to get dark now. You know, that kind of thing. I'm freaked out a little bit because a lot of guy, crazy guys are going by in cars like that, looking at you. They're, quite a lot of people have actually been shot at in that area. So I'm standing there. I says, Lord, how am I going to get back to the hostel? So I'm standing there and here comes this car. I mean, I can drive fast, but this guy comes screaming. There's a guy screaming down the road and he just pulls up. It was a, uh, and it's a, it's a Jewish man, but he's from America and he's over visiting Israel. Where are you going? I said, I just want to get into the center of Jerusalem. I says, Jerusalem Gate Hotel, because we used to stay there. We know that place. So I says, Jerusalem. He goes, no problem. Jumps in, both, and we get a wee bit of conversation. I just felt it was an answer to prayer. Then I get back to the hostel again, and I just thought to myself, I just knew God to use me. I, honestly, I can't say anything other than that, just to weep, to weep in the presence of these people. And both of them knew each other, so they've been talking about me. So I got a name about this crazy pastor from Scotland. The young girl that was stabbed to death, I visited her first actually, she was en route to before I went, sorry, before I went up to Othniel, and I actually found out where the house was, and I went up to the house and I was chapping the door, but nobody answered the door, so my plan was to do the three, that one didn't materialize, and these two did. What I want you to say to this guy is, I just know, I know deep within me, do you know from, I just, honestly, soon I get back to that hostel, I just went back to there, and I just knew God had sent me on a mission that day, to bless them. They're not believers, and um, both very religious. One of them was a rabbi. The other one is just a very a beautiful man from America made Aliyah. In fact, I'd be hoping that we might be able to kind of tie in with him there. I've, I've, I met him one time we went before. I kind of ran up and met with him. And I'm just saying this. Do you know something? I just know that God still weeps over this people because of the rejection. Because even though they reject him, but he still, he still, get that, you know, he still weeps over this people. And I get that firsthand. I felt, to be honest, guys, and maybe rightly or wrongly, I felt the Lord was weeping through me as I sat in that house. And as I went to that other house, I felt the Lord was weeping through me. I've never had that experience before. I get back up to the hostel and I was just, I was like, God, I was on my face. Thank you, Father. I just, thank you, Father. You used me. Glory to God. I just love it when God uses you. Do you not love it sometimes when you just feel that maybe God's told you to go and speak to somebody or do something? And I just know that was the case, hallelujah, that God is still reaching out to this people. He still cries over them. He still sees the pain, the anguish. Yes, the anger that he will feel towards them and their stubborn refusal towards him. But I still believe that God has still got a heart's cry for this people because he has made a covenant and he will never break his covenant, hallelujah. And he still reaches out to them, hallelujah, glory to God. So I want to just say to us, all of us guys, be careful that we don't actually, it's so easy to dislike this people. And I've been amongst them. And I'll tell you this, as I told you, that young, that young man that came out there and he started saying this. And a lot of other times, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're a difficult people. But listen, we live in Scotland. There's a lot of difficult people in this land and as well. But I still believe that God has sent us that we should provoke them to jealousy. Why do we, how do we provoke them to jealousy? I just know this. They were affected by me. And all I did was turn up and I, I wept with them and I blessed them with money and I says, look, and it was going to be used just to help the family. 
And I just says, I just wanted to just not only share my heart, but we're able to take a blessing to them as well. And I'm hoping as we go out as a group of people, not that we're going to be called to whatever, but I want to say this, not only we're going to be out there, but we have to recognize that they are blinded at this moment in time. And maybe God will use us just to stir them to a little bit of jealousy, all of us. So again, just to finish this season of, shall we say, 10 days of awe, which we do not necessarily have to come, you know, follow in the Day of Atonement. Christ is the atoning lamb. That's all been done for us. Hallelujah. But why don't we take a little bit of time over this period of this week leading up to it and pray for them. Pray for that people. As Paul tells us, to pray for them. Pray that God will open up their eyes. Pray that God will reveal himself to them. And thank God many Jews now are turning to Christ like never before. Their eyes are being opened. Messianic fellowships. And we will probably be at one on the Saturday when we're up there in Mount Carmel area. And, um, and more and more of them. Plus, many Arabs are turning to Christ as well. That's a unique fellowship there. You've got the Arabs and you've got the Jews together, worshipping together in Haifa. They've got the one new man. That was David David's legacy. That's uh, up there as well. Hallelujah. Tons of Russians are up there as well. You know, the, 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 you know, it's amazing how they all gravitated to Haifa. And we'll experience that. So, listen, guys, I just want to confirm to uh, or just to encourage us. Let us be careful how we deal with Israel I always say this, that's his business. That's God's business. That's God's choice. I could read to you, I'm not, because the time's away, and I'm, I'm aware of time, okay? I could read to you, and I've asked you to read it yourself, Ezekiel chapter 16. And he goes, listen, Abraham was just a, an adulterer. I, I'm sorry, an, an idolater. He says, when I picked him, he was an Amorite, and his wife was such and such, I called him from the world. He says, I called him out. There was nothing special about Israel when they were formed. He says, I loved them, I adorned them, I made them great. And yet they turned against me and they committed adultery, 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 and his judgments, his judgments, his judgments. But at the end of chapter 16, he says, he says, but the day is coming when I'm going to pour out my grace upon them. And we know that in Zechariah, it says, I will take away their sin in one day. And I believe that's when the Messiah will come and reveal himself to them and they will cry out for him and they will acknowledge who he is and they will repent and God is going to do an amazing work. And I'll let God discover who that remnant is. I will leave that with the Lord. That's all I'm saying is, guys, God is moving across this earth. Hallelujah. And I believe Israel, as I said this morning, is very strategic to the second coming of the Lord. I believe God has dropped that within my heart and my soul. So let's take this opportunity to not only to be a blessing to them, because when you bless them, I believe we're blessed. We're blessed. When you bless Israel, bless the land of the people. Yes, I pray for the Palestinians and the people in Gaza as well. I pray for them all. I pray for the peace of the Lord. I pray that right across the board because he came to save them as well. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Father, thank you again, Father, for your word. I thank you again, Father, for Israel tonight, Lord, and we again bring them before you. Father, this season when they are busy repenting, Lord God, and getting their lives in order, Father, ahead of the day of atonement, Father, Lord, the most holiest day, the only day, Lord God, that you have commanded people to fast, Lord God, Father, to fast and to seek your face. Father, and even secular Jews will be fasting and probably seeking your face, Father, in the land of Israel, when the whole nation comes to a standstill. Father, can we pray at this moment in time, would you open up their eyes? Would you show them Jesus? Will you show them the Messiah? Lord, for there is only one name under heaven by which men can be saved, Jew or Gentile alike, Lord. There's only one way to the Father, and it is through the Son. He is the only door. He is the only Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And I pray, Father, again for them tonight, 
Father, even in our own land, there's many here. I pray, Lord, that you will reveal yourself to them, O oh God, in the glorious name of Jesus. And may the Lord bless us all. Now, before we finish, I thought I'd finish with a blow on the shofar. And somebody says, oh, you nailed that this morning. I don't always nail it, so hopefully we'll nail it as, as we finish. Glory to God. Amen.